You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 128, covering Frame of Mind and Suspicions with Gregory Dickens. Hi, friends. Uh, unfortunately, we hit a bit of a technical snag this week. Fortunately, I record as a backup the Skype call. Unfortunately, for no apparent reason, I didn't hit record until five minutes into the call. Fortunately, our guest this week, uh, Gregory Dickens, was gracious enough to provide us with a new recording of his summary. Unfortunately, I will then have to jump from that to sort of a mid-conversation point. But fortunately, you still have most of an episode. So enjoy that, won't you? Okay, here's what we have in frame of mind. Commander Riker and Data perform a play under the direction of Dr. Crusher. Riker plays a mental patient accused of a crime, and his character insists upon his sanity and innocence. Riker leaves the rehearsal and catches sight of a strange new type of alien, and it unsettles him, probably because he thought he had already encountered every possible variation of eyebrow prosthetics. The Enterprise is called to a planet to extract a Starfleet research team, or person, or something, it really doesn't matter, and Riker is given his dirt side disguise by Worf in a cute Bond and Q scene. Not that Q, the James Bond Q. But Worf accidentally cuts him, and Riker grouses out the door to sickbay. Later, during the performance of the play, Riker finds himself in the same set, but apparently it's now a real patient's room, and Dr. Data has been replaced by another of those aliens Riker saw earlier. The new doctor informs Riker he's actually in an institution and is actually accused of murder, but he is not a Starfleet officer. His Riker past is a delusion. Riker is shaken enough to question both realities and encounters similarly confused people in a common room taken right out of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. He also sees the initial alien from the episode's first scene. He is confronted with his criminal allegations, and he attacks his asylum warden, for lack of a better term, and is sedated, but the injection makes him wake up back on the Enterprise. It's now the day of the performance, and Crusher says he's just living out the role, you know, getting deep into character. During the performance, he sees the institution folk in his peripheral vision and confronts that initial alien who is sitting in the audience. The performance done, he strolls the corridors with Troy, unpacking his confusions but he turns to find himself back in the institution. He subjects himself to a form of therapy that splits his personality traits into various crew members, and they're projected into holograms who can talk him through this. Later, he is approached by Dr. Crusher inside the institution. She tells him that he was captured on his away mission and must prepare to be rescued. He is awakened in his cell that night by a ninja-garbed wharf and Data who beam him out of the hospital with those three signal boosters from the first episode I reviewed for Post-Atomic Horror. Or is this the first episode and I'm hallucinating? On board, Riker is disoriented, and that wharf knife cut is back and just won't heal despite Crusher's magic glue gun. Riker convinces himself the Enterprise is an illusion, and he grabs a phaser, shooting himself. Everyone vanishes into shards of glass to reveal the institution staff. They tell Riker to hand over the phaser, but Riker balks. Another phaser shot breaks the institution room back into shards, and he's in the playset. He disavows this reality and crashes the set, and everything dissolves into shards as we find Riker strapped to a bed with a doodad stuck in his head right where that wharf cut was. He escapes the room by grabbing his disguise communicator and beams out. Now he's back aboard the real Enterprise, and we learn he was under an invasive mind interrogation, and his brain constructed multiple layers of reality to preserve critical Starfleet intelligence from the interrogator, who was the episode's initial alien. To give himself closure, Riker asks Crusher for permission to take apart the set by hand, and he tears down the walls of the set as the Enterprise zooms off into the stars. 
it's 80% of a great episode and 20, the 20% that doesn't gel weakens it really greatly. The problem fundamentally is that we know Riker is Riker. Um, we know he's telling the truth. We, we go along with him because we know him. Um, so one level of what is reality is already established. Um, and, you know, had this episode happened to say a previously unknown lieutenant uh, who looked like the other aliens or had Riker been made up to look like these aliens, he wouldn't stand apart. Um, he wouldn't be so separate from the reality that is trying to make him blend in with it. Um, and it, it, you know, f- for an episode that's 20 years old for a syndicated science fiction show, this is pretty good. Uh, they just don't go quite far enough with it to really sell it. Um, well, no, I mean, and I don't. We talked about that as we were watching it. It would have been great if either, like you said, we we were completely invested in his insanity, or if they pulled back and let us know from the beginning what was going on, and then we were watching him react to it. But you yeah, can't really have yeah. it both ways. See, yeah. it really it feels to me like that's really the only way you can sort of go with with episodes yeah, like because the, you know he's fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. th- that's yeah. the that's the overwhelming problem is that you. You know for a fact who these characters are, who the right. character is, yeah, and you know that by die. the end of the episode he's going to be back. It's like there was an episode of Buffy like this, yeah, and I it was a really it was a really good episode. But like, there's that there's just that thing where it's like you know it's not going to it's not going to work out that way. Actually, they did in D- uh, Deep Space Nine like this as well. They did too, yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the Buffy episode, right? Yeah. Well, that actually had a great ending to it because it ended in the institution with her family and doctor reacting to her as if she's gone fully into her, into her delusion. The Shit, episode, that's right. I forgot about that. The episode that. ends with us saying maybe she's really living in a dream world. That's a good well, That's point. interesting. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, the and, problem here is the same problem they have with the DS9 episode, which is you can't do that because mm-hmm. then you're saying all these other shows that existed are also part of his delusion. You get into that whole saying elsewhere thing. Yeah. Whereas yes. then Kirk and Spock and Cisco and everybody else is part of Rikers, and that, that seems unlikely. Mm-hmm. And some of the things about watching this episode, I can't, you know, they, they can excuse some of their mistakes and some of their foibles by saying it's Riker's delusion. So things aren't going to make complete sense. Sure. But it also works the other way where they're saying that if something doesn't make sense to you during the episode, it's because we passively intended it, or you're going to brush it off because you know, we don't make sterling perfect episodes that that there's something hokey every episode because it's a hokey kind of show. Mm. Um, And that, that cushion allows them to get away with, or at least accept some things that they should not have. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when data and Worf go into the institution to get Riker, they're dressed all in black except for their heads and their heads are what separate them from everyone else. So they clearly don't belong there. Um, they drag him out of his room, knowing he's confused already because Crusher's talked to them. Talk to him. Um, they don't sedate him. They don't. They don't carry him off. And they make him leave the room so they can then transport him out instead of setting up the transporter beacons in the room. Uh, and you can say, well, it's Riker's delusion. These things don't make sense. But you can also say this is a way to stretch the episode out. Um, yeah. It's things like that where. They, they they have the cushion, they have the built-in excuse, and we're hoping for a little bit more. We're hoping for them to go past that and to make a really great episode. Well, and I've, the, I've, the thing is, if you can keep those kind of things – like if you can avoid the, that kind of shoddy writing, like you can tighten the episode up enough that even though we know it's not happening, you know, we can accept the, re- like the reality for, well, and, the, for the 40 minutes. And you can make anything that he's – anything that's part of his delusion mean something. 
You yeah, can make exactly. It not just there to be a smokescreen for sloppy uh, writing, but actually be okay. The reason he imagined this is because he thinks of Troy this way, or because yeah. Worf is scary to him, or you know, whatever. You 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 embrace the fact that it's in his head rather than using it as an excuse. Yeah, but right. let's let's get down to to the real issue here. You know, who wrote this episode? Anyone anyone uh, who's listened to us knows that the dream episodes and the insanity of everything that happens inside someone's head is is typically Brandon Braga. Yep. Oh, there you go. And I really want to like this guy. I really don't want my preconceived notions to be correct. Unfortunately, uh, you get episodes like this, which end up being super repetitive. By the end of this, by the by the fourth act, it's just the same thing over and over again. Am I crazy? Am I not crazy? Oh, look, I'm back here again. It's like that yep. Enterprise exploding episode. Yep. Yeah. Like, enough. I get it. And then the whole... He likes to come up with things that are cool on the surface. Watching mm-hmm. Riker doubt his sanity is great. But then he sort of backfills an explanation that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I feel like happened here. He's the uh, he's the Zack Snyder of Star Trek. Is that <laughs> is that how you would describe? Snyder I doing read his... Zack. I read an interview with Zack Snyder where he starts where he starts off by thinking this is the coolest thing I can do in this movie, and then I'll figure out what to do from there. Right. Well, and I feel like again, without spoiling anything at all, I think I feel <laughs> like the Abrams team on the new Star Trek movies do that with mm. action sequences. They do them pretty well though. But they, they will totally write a scene around a cool action sequence they thought of. Yeah. And I think a lot of people write like that. And it's fine if you do it well. Yeah, but I mean, you know, if you've got something like this where all, all you see is the obvious flaws and the and his same little tricks that he does every time he does an episode. Right. And we're already seeing them and we've only seen a handful of episodes yeah. of his. Like, I don't know what's going to happen when we get to Voyager. I know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to cry. <laughs> Did you uh, did you have further uh, points on this on this, Gregory? I see you have a lot of notes. I don't want to. I certainly don't want to step on. Uh... Mostly along the same lines. Um, there were things that we thought, and we talked about this when we saw the episode. That if they had just changed, say, who's doing what, like instead of Data being in the play, if it was one of those aliens as a Starfleet officer playing the Doctor, then Riker would have that extra level of confusion. Um, and so there would be we- something. Yeah, and 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 that helps us to to know where Riker is in his delusion, but it it also tells us he's back amongst his friends to a certain extent, um, or he's safe. It 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 just prevents us from really investing in the episode the way we could have. Right. Uh, and and that's you know we actually we say that it's about uh, both the episodes this week. They both feel like they're about one draft away from being a whole lot better than they are. There's a lot of easily solved problems that if you just spent a little more time on it. Yeah, that they could have been much better. Mm-hmm. But still, the the premise of the episode is really good, and there are moments watching it where you get caught up. and 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 Riker does a good job. Frakes does a good job, and that's part of the the good stuff. We'll get to that in a minute. Well, yeah, let's um, uh, let's go ahead and hear a good thing then. Okay, I really think Frakes is given a chance to break away from the Riker role, and he does a good job. He shows us that he can do something more. Um, I had suggested, actually, my wife had suggested, and I'm going to pretend it was my idea, that this was Frakes having his chain of command episode the way Patrick Stewart had his with the four lights versus the five lights because he's he's uh, arguing for his innocence or his perception of reality right. as opposed to what someone else is telling him. So he gets those emotional points that he can hit the way Stewart has his he could hit. Uh, it was under much dire circumstances, of course. But Riker... 
can shed, I mean, Frakes can shed the Riker role a little bit to, to play not just Riker who is confused, but someone who is confused. And I think he does a good job in the scenes where we really need him to do a good job. Right. Not that he has to, to, to have that, you know, um, fifth gear of frenzy going on all the time to sell that he's crazy or, or show us crazy in TV terms. Um, but, but seeing him react to what's going on around him, um, he, he does fine. I, I, I thought he did a really good job with that. Well, now see that, that dovetails nicely into uh, Matt's bad thing, which I, I believe he may, uh, he may disagree with you a bit on that. Yeah. Okay. I, my thing with this, like, I like my, my good things actually freaks in this and mm-hmm. his, his, like, he does some great goddamn acting in this. He does. This episode. There's definitely some moments that are fantastic. Uh, the problem is when he doesn't, do his excellent <laughs> acting. He he pinballs back and forth between really amazing work and just running around screaming no at people. And the thing is, he's not doing that thing Patrick Stewart does, which is he's playing Picard. Like Patrick Stewart plays the character Picard as a bad actor playing a yes. character not very well. That's not it. Sometimes when he's Riker, he's bad. Yeah. And then sometimes like, when he's his character, he's good. It's very strange. Yeah. It's 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 really weird, and it's just it's just poor decisions it is and like i i expect better from freaks for, for a lot of this no that stuff. was no, the first like, few years we did this the first few seasons we did this we were really surprised that freaks was a lot better than we gave him credit for yeah and i mean we've gotten to the point where we, we've fallen into you know sort of you know he just shows up every week and does a good job but he has so, a lot of a lot of good episodes this season so it's no. hard to forget yeah it's hard to to remember that he is quite good but yeah uh, this should have been like gregory said it should have been like his chain of command moment. We should have really seen him shine as he's sort of beating his fists against what the hell's going on here. But I guess my problem here is like, there's no, there's no subtlety to any of it. Like when he gets mad, he's just like, I'm mad now. That's actually my overarching problem with both of these episodes as we'll, as we'll see in the next one. There's no subtlety in either of them. It's Mm -hmm. just exactly surface what you get. Yeah. But this episode doesn't have subtlety across the board. And when we, when we have, when we have our nurse ratchet, guard warden <laughs> over these over the the institute oh yeah lord nipple belt right yeah yep. um that guy's not subtle at all and nope. so i would say there are going to be times when the direction of this show whoever the director is that's going to bleed over what frakes is doing um although I, and, I will say that was my good thing was the directing the camera directing not the yes directing. yes yeah they made and, and fantastic I, choices camera-wise and, and oh, editing-wise yeah. and that sort of thing. There were some great things to emphasize the insanity, but I think you're talking more about the way the actors were directed. Yes, and then the way they're asked to portray a moment or, or convey a certain line. And I think we get into that screaming bit yeah. um, because because he might be having to play down to the level of who he's working against. Um, so it seems to make sense. There are physical things he does, which look goofy when he's shoving away the alien at the end of the episode. Yeah. It's such cartoonish goofing. It's the kind of, yep. it's the kind of um, shove like a stage violent shove where you're made to suggest the kinetic energy before you do anything to touch the other actor. So you don't hurt the guy. Right. And it's this broad, almost vaudeville acting physically. And I think that pops up throughout the episode with some of the other actors and Frakes, because 
I, I think part of that is just an undercurrent of this episode. Mm-hmm. I also like at the very beginning, we know he's crazy because his hair's messed up. That's that's shorthand for Riker's crazy or something's wrong with Riker. Well, and yes. failing that, he says he's not crazy about a million times in this episode. <laughs> Which is a quote you have attributed to every crazy person ever. Well, it's true. I don't know, Matt. I'm not crazy. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I've heard that one before from crazy people. Uh-huh. Um, so my, my good thing was the, the, the directing, at least the camera directing. I will agree that the acting choices couldn't have been independently made by the actors entirely. Mm-hmm. So there must be some, some directing problems there. Bad thing? Oh, boy. Well, I'm going to not keep saying Braga and the way he writes stories, but I am going to say specifically, he comes up with these technological things. Okay, having your thoughts holo-projected uh, the idea being that each member of the crew represents a different part of his personality. You get Worf and Troy and Picard, uh, as Matt pointed out, different colors, mm-hmm. which is a nice yes. visual shorthand for you. You got a, a yellow guy. A red I am guy. yellow. I represent yeah, the id. I'm your sorry. Your right. sorry board game pieces. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except I don't know where the green one went. Um, but okay. That's kind of cool. I like it, except we've never seen it before and we'll never see it again. It seems like Braga loves inventing these plot device. Th- we'll just call them the plot device. Yes. It's, th- it's this piece of machinery that exists to service the plot and nothing else. Because if this technology existed, they could use it so much. They could have used it in the next episode where they were trying to figure out like what was going on, like who was a murder suspect. Well, you could project their personalities and their thoughts into a hologram and find out. Mm-hmm. But no, it never, like, he just invents these things and they disappear. Like, that's why I like those episodes where you come up with a piece of technology based on existing technology. Like, yeah, we use the things that we have in front of us. Yeah, I don't care how it works. I don't care about the technical schematics, but I do care about being an internally consistent world. And mm-hmm. I don't, when things like this happen, I don't feel like it is, is kind of what I'm getting at. Uh, so yeah, d- d- stupid, stupid, stupid is what I have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? The um like the scenes when Riker's losing it like during the play I think it's towards the middle of the episode like there's a bit where where he's acting and then you see like the actual uh like the actual doctor from the alien planet sort of peering in through the through the window yeah that's one of that those directing of, choices I was yeah about, that stuff creepy. is really cool and like and like genuinely creepy and in interesting you know yeah absolutely it's like the rest of the episode that bugs me <laughs> and we had a problem with them using this small space for a stage production anyway. Yeah, so it's like one corner of 10 forward, not a... Yeah, and, and we couldn't figure out, because we see in the episode the end of the play, because for, uh, Riker delivered his lines, the lights go down, they come out and they take a bow. Yeah. And the play ends in such a weird, weird way. It's a really uh, shitty play. Yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a bad play, and we got the set, and so, you know, if they've got holodeck, they can also take advantage of that. So there's there's something about using an actual physical space with a physical set and this very small audience to watch a very short play. Yeah, it's the senior staff and then 10 people who couldn't get out of it, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the captain ran into me in the hallway. So now I guess I have to come. <laughs> or I, I'm the one currently <laughs> sleeping with Riker and there's four of them there and that's not awkward. Yep. <laughs> oh God, they're all in the same place. Two plays. Don't let them talk to each other. <laughs> it's like that old kids in the hall bit. I feel like all your former lovers should fit on a bus. Yeah, but you don't want to ride that bus. <laughs> I there was there was going back to the acting for a minute. There was a great moment at the very beginning in the teaser where he's he's acting crazy and he's not doing a fantastic job of it. 
but he gets to a point where he forgets his lines and suddenly he goes from his character reverts back to that Riker smile. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, line. And you suddenly realize, wow, that wasn't Riker and this is Riker. Frakes is better than I think he is. It's actually, it's a really neat transformation watching him go from... Because it's entirely facial. Yes, absolutely. Like, there's a, there's a slight change in the dialogue, but it's almost completely in his face where you see his eyes yeah. brighten and his smile. He just becomes Riker. It's really cool. Yeah, and you realize this uh, once again. Because you think, we talked about this before, you think he's the bland white guy. You think this is the easiest role on this show, the, the, mm-hmm. the most boring, potentially boring guy, and he's not. He's great. No. But this is typically, he's not the robot, he's not the empath, he's not the alien, he's the, the white guy. Yeah, see, that, <laughs> that's the nice thing about Riker is that you have to try harder when you're the least interesting guy on the show. Yeah, because we've all seen a lot of those sci-fi fantasy shows where there is that guy, the guy who has mm-hmm. nothing interesting about him, and he's just bland. But I think yep. they try extra hard, and he tries extra hard to make him interesting, and it works, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, so what else? I, I really else? didn't have a lot to say other than that. No, this is a really it. sort of un- – the problem here is that at the end of the day, nothing happens in this episode. Yeah, it's another running in place episode. You don't get any insights into the characters. You don't no. get any, any plot development. You just get – I will say, near the end, where he's starting to shoot everything with phasers and everything starts falling apart, obviously somebody on the staff paid whatever it was back in the day, $1,000 for a video toaster. Yep. <laughs> which was the, um, I believe it was for the Amiga. It was the cutting edge in not very good yet CG technology <laughs> in 1993, and boy, could you tell. Oh, yeah. It was just a shitty transitional, everything breaks down into squares effect that they then played the sound of shattering glass around. Mm-hmm. I feel like I always thought that was a thing Star Trek really liked, and then it turns out I've only seen it the one time. Yeah, well, so far we're going into season seven. Who knows what's going on there? I guess that's true. Reality could be shattering all over the place. Yep, could be. Maybe you're just thinking of Shatner. Oh man, why would you do that to me? Because you're you. Yeah, that's fair. You had it coming. <laughs> Gregory, any further points before we press forward? No, really. I guess uh, in regards to what I would pick for the quote, it would be what you're talking about is exemplifying Riker's um, distinction as being in that play and then oh, being I'm himself. I'm so sorry to step on that. No, no, it's fine. It actually leads into it uh, very well because what I was going to say is, is my favorite quote was the delivery of the dialogue instead of one particular batch of dialogue that encapsulates the episode mm-hmm. because it um, – it, it shows him doing something different, and it, it shows him doing something. I would even bet that maybe someone walked with him through this as the as the the core thing to really nail down in rehearsals. That when he was watching Stewart doing his chain of command episode, and I realize this is projecting a bit, but to see the physical mannerisms that Stewart would bring to conveying his emotions at the time. Frakes is doing that as well in this very first scene. The way he uses his hands, the way he turns his head, the way he stammers a little bit to make his point. There's a vulnerability and openness that we don't get through the rest of the episode. That first scene has to bring us in to the gimmick of the show and it does it really well. And the rest of that episode can't live up to that. And that's some of our frustration with it, but it also shows how good that first part was. What I need is to get out of this cell. I've been locked in here for, for days. You've controlled my every move. You've told, you've told me what to eat and what to think and what to say. And then when I show a glimmer of independent thought, you strap me down. You inject me with drugs. You call it a treatment. You're becoming agitated. You bet I'm agitated. I may be surrounded by insanity, but I'm not insane. And there's any... There isn't... There's nothing 
Sorry. And this is one of those times where I wish we could do visual quotes because, like I say, some of that is mm-hmm. is visual, the transformation. Some of it is in the dialogue, but some of it yes. is visual. And occasionally we run into that where it would be a great, you know, we need, we need to just do panels every week. That way we can play things <laughs> up on screen. Yeah, that seems logical, right? We can do that. Yeah. Sure. To, uh, to the cheers of adoring fans. I don't see yeah. why we can't make that happen. There's no reason. No, absolutely not. Uh, okay. Any further? And every once in a while, we'll throw up Mark Twain just to freak you out. Oh, why would you do that? Because <laughs> you deserve Twain, it. Twain bomb. Ah, oh, that's the worst. Now you're gonna now you're gonna double whammy with a flute solo, aren't you? <laughs> See that? <laughs> I told- said the phrase flute solo, and I didn't I didn't tear up. Foo, 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 foo. No, doesn't work anymore. <laughs> you guys have successfully run it into the ground. Hooray! Side note: It was the dog. Mission accomplished. Exocomp. <laughs> Also, that reminds me on, on a completely unrelated note. Gregory, I don't know if, you, if you're all caught up with the show, but there, a few weeks ago there was an episode where it was the dog. <laughs> it was finally the dog. It was the dog. And it was the dog. That's turned into a strange catchphrase around here. If if you listeners would like a post-atomic horror, it was the dog shirt, please write into us. Post-atomic <laughs> horror at Gmail. We're strongly considering printing some up. Yeah. I would be, it's your version uh, of It's Not Lupus. Yes. It was the dog. <laughs> All right. Any any further frame of mind things, or shall we press forward? No, let's get on to... I yeah. keep wanting to call it sabotage. Listen, all y'all, it's suspicions. <laughs> so, Keeps us apart. No, 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 no. So there I was. I just finished frame of mind, and I was poking around the internet for a minute or two before I started the next episode. Hmm. Tumblr, nothing new there. Facebook, nope. Twitter. Oh, my phone is ringing. Hello? Oh, it's an episode plot. Hello, episode plot. How nice of you to phone it in like this. <laughs> what? It was no effort at all. You don't say. The Enterprise has some scientists aboard, you say. Something about a shield that lets you fly into his sun? Okay, that's mildly interesting. Then one of them dies. Then another one dies. Then it turns into a murder investigation where one Enterprise officer risks everything to uncover the truth, and there ends up being no consequences for that officer despite all the risks they took? And then the killer ends up being the least obvious and therefore the most obvious suspect? Huh, who knew? What's that? Everyone knew? Ha ha ha, good one, plot. So, that's it. Okay. Great to hear from you. Uh-huh. I imagine I'll be getting a lot more calls from you soon. Uh-huh. You have a... Uh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you have a good weekend. Okay, but... No, I'm going to... No, you hang up first. Okay. <laughs> one, two, three, go. That was a plot, everyone. I suppose you may be interested to know that the officer in question is Dr. Dr. Beverly, Bever, Wesley's mom, Picard's tea buddy, Crusher, because she's always been interested in non-medical science and gathering scientists together as a sort of scientific diplomat. In fact, if you were looking for such a person, who would be a better choice on this crew? Don't answer because it's no one. (laughs) Also, there are Ferengi and Klingon scientists, which is crazy. Next, you'll be telling me they let an Irishman on board. Anyway, the important thing we learned about some... The important thing is we learned something about the char- Oh, hang on. Getting another call. Hello? Oh, hi, characterization. What's that? <laughs> Guinan plays tennis with Jordy? Uh-huh. Noted. Thanks so much for calling. You wouldn't happen to have any insights into Crusher, would you? Oh, she wears a green dress. Oh, no, no. We saw that already. Anything else? No? Well, thanks anyway. Feel free to phone it in again. Bye now. <laughs> My gimmick summary, everyone. So I take it you really enjoyed this one, Al. You know, I didn't hate it, but seriously. 
There is not a lot going on in this thing. Here, here are the dots. Connect them yourselves. We're going to go have a smoke. Yeah. <laughs> it's seriously, it could have been. And this is another one where it could have been a good episode, but it didn't make any sense. No. I mean, all we were doing was picking apart how to do this better. Because apparently yeah. that's what we do on this show now. Well, that's what we always done on this show, but we shouldn't have to. No. It was, uh, Gregory pointed out a bunch of points where it was very much a, a noir story, and it starts out being narrated by Dr. Crusher. Yeah, in that style, and he and she out, even starts when a dame comes into her uh, into her office. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah, it's it's a gumshoe story, and yeah, the he only thing out a bunch of points, and the only thing missing from that formula is her giving it a name. Like I call this the Icarus Caper. <laughs> yeah, but that would have been from the original series. The Icarus yeah. Caper, I'm pretty sure, was it was an episode. Yeah. Okay. No, you you pointed out a bunch of nice little plot points where, like, okay, here's the point where someone warns her off the case and she doesn't. You're getting too close to this, Beverly. You gotta back off. Chief won't like it. Yeah, and, and and Picard's the chief. Picard, there's actually a scene where she goes into Picard's room and he's at his desk. He's yep. a desk sergeant, um, and she loses her job because of this. She has to turn in her badge. She's yep. off the force because she goes too far. And as she interrogates each of the suspects, there's uh, there's one instance with the, the Klingon scientist where she gets shoved against the wall. And the gumshoe always gets decked once. But then he gets up, wipes the blood off his face, uh, gives some one-liner, and the suspect passively respects his resilience and so says the thing that the suspect wasn't willing to say before anyway. Mm-hmm. And it has the narration all the way through. It's It's got those hallmarks of a, of a flat foot gumshoe story and it feels like the episode clearly followed that on purpose but just couldn't go through with it all the way. It feels like this was supposed to be Gates McFadden like finally we fixed we fixed Troy. We gave her some stuff to do. We get you know Marina Sirtis rose to the occasion at least twice. Let's, yes. let's really give her something cool. And she fell on her ass, I feel like. Yeah. I've, and that was that was really my bad thing. Gates, honey. They gave Marina a couple episodes. She she, she rose to the task. You did not. No, you, <laughs> you still feel like this soap opera level actor, just not up to the level of the rest of the cast. It's like you did the job. Yeah. You tried. Yeah, she is the weak link of this cast. She is yeah. just not as good as the rest of them, which is, I mean, because this cast is really good. We just talked about Frakes, mm-hmm. and Marina Sirtis is a lot better than we gave her credit for because just because of scripts, really. And and yeah. um, uh, Jordy and Data and Worf, they, they all get great moments and they all rise to the occasion. This should have been fantastic, and it yeah. just wasn't. This is finally, <laughs> this should have been finally, uh, we're going to fix Bever now. Yeah. And, and there's bookend moments where she's working opposite an Oscar-winning actress. And yeah, that's true. Which actually leads me nice to my good thing, which is okay. the, which is Guinan. Um, <laughs> stand by. Uh, she's always great, and here is no exception. But since this is her last appearance until Generations, no wonder I don't like season seven. <laughs> I'd just like to reiterate how much better a show this was for her presence. I mean, yeah, she does Troy's job an awful lot, but that's because yeah. she's warm and approachable. Troy always came off as a little, oh, Riker said this in an episode, aloof and aristocratic. Guinan's the bartender. Having her around makes this all more bearable. Like, this story could have been a whole lot worse if she hadn't been there. Absolutely. To be sort of smiling and make it okay. And, and mm. Matt, I don't, I, I've played this card a million times, a million different ways, and I, I don't really want to frame it this way again. But really, this is one of those things you went into the series thinking, I, I don't really like Guinan. Yeah, no, I, I came around on Guinan pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, again, this isn't na 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 na. This is. Uh, That'll I'm, come later. When I'm, we're not. I'm glad you're with me on this one. <laughs> yeah. Because she truly was great. And 
She didn't even do a whole lot in this episode. I just feel like one last time to send her off. Should, yeah, that's the thing. I'm going to miss this character now. Yeah, me too. Ever said that about Pulaski? No, that's true. You're just like, eh, oh well, whatever. Yep, she's gone now. <laughs> now, Gregor, wasn't that part of your bad thing about Guinan? Yeah, well, the, the unfortunate decision to have Guinan do what Troy should have been doing, or, I mean, that's pretty much Guinan's role on the show now. It's uh, And we talked about this before, that Guinan feels like the show apologizing for portraying Troy the way they have. Mm-hmm. And Guinan does all these things that Troy should be doing. Um, and even being the person who talks to Crusher in this episode and asking for the narration and well, giving especially her... especially since they're kids. established as personal friends. Yeah. It would have made more sense. Yeah. Because Troy does so very little in this episode. Um, there's no direct interaction with Crusher the way there is with Riker or with Picard when they're playing their gumshoe formula roles. Right. Troy and uh, Crusher have no interaction in this episode. Mm, that's a good point. And because of what Crusher's asked to do, which is to go read these people and ask them for clues about whether they were involved in these deaths, Troy should be there maybe to read the room. Maybe they could exchange notes out when those suspects have left the room. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Troy has traditionally been given things to say that are obvious. Um, that person's hiding something. Well, of course they're hiding something. We can all tell that you don't have to be an empath to know that, but maybe this <laughs> episode where they show that where, where you know, they, they play that, that trick, you know, you have this, uh, a sci-fi, uh, thing, something you don't have in a regular cop show, but they're playing it like a straight cop show. And uh, and I'll go ahead and make this complaint as one of my bad things. There are things in which Crusher could say, hey, spaceship computer, what happened in this room? Yep. And that would maybe make the episode five minutes long, but we would know what happened. Uh, well, and that's and- the problem is, apart from this flying into the sun device, uh, there's nothing particularly about this episode that is Star Trek. It's all very no. much a straight murder mystery otherwise yeah. this could be anywhere yeah yep. uh bullets instead but of not phaser. a well executed uh straight well actually no because the other the, the main thing is the the guy who ends up sabotaging it is uh an alien with like uh, redundant organs and that is a sci-fi thing yeah i'll give them that that you couldn't really tell that story anymore. and we do show that like way early in the episode like yeah, right you actually have guys. you actually have the answer to the mystery in front of you if you're paying attention yeah that is it's true. like well he's got 48 different kinds of lungs so he's probably not actually dead right because people with millions of lungs can live forever. Apparently. That's science. I'm sure. But that's something else we also have to accept for this episode, that there's going to be a brand new species we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come aboard the ship, and that person dies, and there's no way of knowing anything about them beyond what she can perceive. Mm-hmm. There are no Starfleet records accessible. Um, well, there's an no- ongoing thing this was bones didn't know how to fix spock half the time and you'd think with a vulcan on the crew maybe he'd have some charts exactly oh, maybe maybe when you come aboard a starship you should have a piece of paper or a file or a jump drive or something that says here's what happens if i get a boo-boo right. um if if i if you find me in a coma do this they and should, so the, every new alien should have a medic alert bracelet is what you're saying yeah yeah carry it on you yeah um but again the episode would be five minutes long that's a good point. Uh, Matt, how about you? Uh, good, bad, whatever. Pick one. Uh, well, let's start with my good thing, because why the fuck not? Sure. Let me just find it first. You talked about the Ferengi scientist. I did. I really like the poor, sad, lonely Ferengi scientist who's just so 
desperately wanting just these guys who he's had invited onto the ship to just say, yeah, you did a good job, Ferengi scientist. This was a well-written, well-performed character. Yeah, yes. no, I really like this poor guy. Yep. Like, he goes a really long way to redeeming every other Ferengi we've ever seen on this show just by not being completely terrible. Well, and like, that's, that's what I was what, saying about the racism. Like, really, there would be other kinds of guys in a culture that are really literally not only like this. We, I remember a long time ago we talked about this on one of the supplementals, just the idea of the guys from the races that we never see. Right. The, like, the Klingon scientists, the... You know, the, these guys who don't make any sense in the culture but logically have to exist for these guys to be space-faring sure. species. Yes. And so I'm, I'm when this dude shows up, who is apparently a friend of Beverly's, mm -hmm. like enough so that she wants to do all this crap to get his uh, his invention wider recognition. Right. He, like, he's, he's a fairly pleasant character. We've never seen any of this from a Ferengi before, and it's really cool. No, even on Deep Space Nine, where we get more invested in the Ferengi, they're still kind of smarmy yeah they're still not trustworthy it's just they're not trustworthy in a likable way but we've never gotten a, a genuinely likable ferengi before like this is the first time a ferengi has shown up on this show and everyone else on the show hasn't gone Ugh. yeah no you know the guy they got, the guy they got to play him was the same kind of guy they cast it's not yeah. like they went completely out of type they just wrote him really well, and he played it this very earnest sort of, oh, I just want my work, my work to, you know, to go on. I don't really yeah. care about the profit. Yeah, that was another cool thing. Like, he flat out says that at some point. Yeah, I'll give He's you like, the Like, if rights. you help me with, the, with, with this, I'm going to, you know, you're going you're gonna to get a cut. Right. But he doesn't even say it like that. He's like, I'll give up the rights. I don't care. Yeah. I just, I just I like, I like the idea of this Ferengi who's like, I'm, I'm flat out in it for the science. Right. Which is cool. And then there's a Klingon scientist. And again, everyone's like, oh, Klingon scientist. Well, they're not well regarded in their culture. It's like, Why? well, no, but I mean, to be a scientist in, a, in on the Klingon homeworld, you're going to have to be pretty goddamn good at it. Well, but who, who do you think builds your bombs and your cloaking yeah, devices? Yeah, exactly. That shit's important. Yeah. You wouldn't have the stuff you had. Without not everyone gets to be the warrior guy. Yeah, no. Somebody has to hand the warrior guy his sword, and that comes from somewhere. Yeah, and somebody has to clean up after that warrior guy. Well, we don't need to see a series about Klingon janitors, I don't know. Maybe you don't. But that gets into the point about this should have been another draft before they made this episode. Uh -huh. um, because Crusher is investigating a series of murders. Worf, the security guy, isn't. Right. Um, Crusher is bringing together scientists for a scientific symposium to prove a scientific theory. Geordi should be doing that. Right. Geordi um, or Data, you know, either of those. Yeah. Guys. yeah, there's a lot of contrivances to, to make Crusher the person when really, and, and on the other hand, you have a lot of the rest of the cast not doing anything. You could have solved both of those problems. Yeah. Yeah, if this was Geordi spearheading the effort to lend credibility to this theory and then Crusher gets involved because she finds something during an autopsy. Well, the, com the combined efforts of Worf and security and then Crusher doing the autopsy. Yeah. Then it would this be a nice been, pairing of characters we don't normally see, and it would make more sense. Yeah, this could have been an all-hands-on-deck, everyone investigating this from certain angles to solve the mystery, a team effort. Right. Um, and, of course, the gumshoe formula has the singular person. Um, but again, has to be against them near the end, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they have to be uh, separated from their pursuit. They have, to be, uh, they have to validate what they're doing, and they have to do something risky to prove that they were right. Yeah. Right. Where, you know, unfortunately that wouldn't work. On the other hand, it would be a better story. So you could you could abandon that conceit in the interest of making it a better story. I think the real thing is they wanted to give Beverly a solid episode that didn't have anything to do with her being somebody's mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
this probably is our best episode so far. Unfortunately, it's just not as good as it could have been. No, the, 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 when your best when your best episode is at like you know just flat out like lackluster at best. I would say know. on a one to ten, this was a solid five. This was a an average episode of Next Gen. I would say. Yeah. What do you guys think? I don't know. I give it like a four, really? just below average. I I would give it low marks because I could see where they could have made this a sterling episode. Yeah. If this was a wharf centric episode where he plays that classic gumshoe character of he's among the people, but he's not of the people and everyone holds him in suspicion and he's got to talk to a Klingon scientist and a Ferengi scientist and a Vulcan scientist. And he, he's got to noodle this through. He's got to figure it out. And maybe he's not the smart guy to figure this out, but eventually well, he gets trip over the answer. Yeah. If this was a Worf episode with Worf yeah. as that central character doing the narration to Guinan at the end, oh, okay. I think that's a strong episode. But then I think the idea of Klingon Starfleet cop would be a great weekly series anyway. Oh, um, God, that would be too. I was just – you just made me realize that this gumshoe thing has been done already, which is when Picard was into his whole Dixon Hill thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this if if Crusher was doing this as a holodeck uh, role play, uh-huh. it would be a different situation, and they could really play that stuff up. But they've done it because right. Picard has that. Because when you were saying that about Orf, it's like okay, so we tie it into another thing with him and Alexander on the holodeck, where he's learning how to be a detective. Wait, we've already yeah. done that. <laughs> they've blown their wad on the detective thing, and they did it with Picard, which you know, of those characters, makes the least amount of sense. To be into a gumshoe mystery, honestly. Yeah. And I, I kind of like it that uh, Crusher is in a position where she's not suited or skilled or she doesn't have the, the expertise to noodle this through appropriately. She has to interrogate people. That's kind of cool. But again, she wouldn't be in that situation in the first place. Right. The, the way of embroiling her in this should have been handled better. So, okay, we're talking about how this episode could have been better. Yeah. Let, let's look at it from a different angle. You want to make a good Beverly episode. How do you do it? How do you focus on this character? What makes her unique? What the, the strengths of the actor, so to speak? Like, if they failed at making a great Beverly episode, what what would be a great Beverly episode? I'm trying to think of episodes that we've already talked about and seen, and and how we could twist that for her to be in this. And apparently, if they've done that with the Dixon Hill thing, then right. they tried that with Crusher. Um, Matt, what do you I, think? I think you need to cut her off from the rest of the crew. I mean, having her well, like I talked about I've talked about this before on the uh on uh last week on Into Darkness. We need to get her away from all these other characters that are supposed to define her. Oh, I see. Yeah, when we were answering the the listener. Yeah, no, you 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 cut her off from the crew completely. Mm-hmm. Um I would say something but medical, did, probably. They did remember me. They did where she was literally in a bubble away from the rest of the crew, and we didn't love that one either. No, that's true. Have they, besides being Wesley's mom, have they given her anything to do besides sometimes moon over Picard? They've barely even done that. They've only just started doing yeah. that now. And the show's almost over, so. Right. Yeah. The, the first time they really strongly hinted at that was when Picard had the romance a few weeks ago. And you could pick up a tinge of jealousy from her, but that mm. was sort of out of left field for us. Like, where did that yeah. come from? And I mean, so like, we've we been were, watching the whole show, so right. like, so you know, we were, if, if we were doing, if we were doing a Beverly episode in this point in the show, we would have to bring something new to her, yeah, uh, to make it an interesting thing. And that's really unfair. And at six seasons in, even though she did leave for a while, we should have something more than this. I yeah. agree, but we should have had that with Troy, and they managed to fix her. Mm-hmm. 
they in one episode they said, oh, by the way, she was into cowboy stories as a kid, and then they did this awesome thing where she role played on the holodeck, and then the next week they did the Romulan thing, and you realize she's got this whole badass streak under that she's never used before. Like they they found ways to show you levels layers that weren't there before. Yeah, and they could have done that with. with I mean, like, well. is she just a lost cause at this point? I can't think. I mean, the problem is knowing what I know ahead. Uh-huh. Yes. But maybe maybe there's things I don't remember that she actually has good moments, but I don't know. Uh, the, the only other Beverly episode I can remember is Beverly Fucks a Ghost, and that's yeah. going to be a year from now, and it's atrocious. Um, no, that's actually not that long, like, even show-wise. I think it's early season seven. Like, it's only no. ten episodes away from us, maybe. Mm. There's also the one where she and Picard are trapped on a planet and mentally mm-hmm. linked, and they realize they're in love. Well, see, that's tying her again to another. To yeah. that's tying her to a guy again. Yep. And so is Beverly fucks a ghost. God damn it! You know, the, they had moments with the episode where Worf is paralyzed and she has to work against the other doctor. Mm-hmm. And there were some good moments there, um, but there, it wasn't. There are generally a good moments when they make her the the conscience. Yeah, when they make her the moral one who has to has to bring everyone back from doing this horrible thing, that mm-hmm. I think that's what you're responding to there, Gregory. Is is yeah, yeah, because the conscience. It it seems like everyone else has gone into Starfleet because they're getting something from the role that they 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 make for themselves, the niche they make for themselves. Mm-hmm. It seems like she's the doctor because she wants to be a doctor, but there doesn't seem to be any reason why she couldn't have done this on Earth. And I'm I'm wondering what she gets out of being a doctor on the enterprise and i think, that we're you're going i think it's going to be because like if if there was a real reason it's going to be because her husband was in starfleet i hate to say that i hate to tie her to a man again but jack crusher was in starfleet and i bet she joined so she could be with him mm-hmm. well if, if we pers- if we say that then we're not saying that that's all we think the character should be but that's all they've shown the character to be yeah right. but that's the only assumption i can make based on the information we have yeah, yeah, see, because we have so little. Right. Yeah, see, this is the problem with the character, is there's nothing to to sort of build off of that isn't, you know, other people in her life. Right, and there's there's that, no There's no real character here. There's that, uh, what is it called? I don't remember the name of it, but uh, the, the thing, the test, that if there are two women oh, on the, the screen. Oh, uh, the Bechdel test. Thank you. Bechdel test, Bechdel yeah. test something Which, like that. If, if there's two women on the screen and they're actually talking about something that isn't a man, uh-huh. Then you pass the test, and typically, typically TV shows do not. No, and uh, unfortunately, she's you know, she's very much in that. Whereas Troy, like in uh, Face of the Enemy, she yeah. was she was facing down the female Romulan commander. And yeah, and she was, was fantastic. And they weren't talking about a man, so right there, she passes the test. Yeah, one episode, unfortunately, but still. But I mean, that's still, you know, that's something. That's, that's something for her Beverly. character. Yeah. It, it's possible the best thing about Crusher in this episode is that she delivers a really good spin kick in the fight scene. <laughs> that is true. That is a yeah. kick-ass spin kick. I was going to say, yeah. she gets one good kick and one phaser blast in, this, in, in, in the entire series, and they happen one right after the other. That's it. Yeah. She's done now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. That sucks, too. I would watch Beverly kick people all the time. <laughs> She's a really good kicker. It's those dancer legs. Yeah, that yeah, be yeah. It. I think that was the uh, idea behind the last scene in Showgirls too. Mm-hmm. Oh God, why did you make me remember Showgirls? Well, I'm just saying, dancing person, kicking ass. It, I, it's right there. Yeah, but that just remember makes me remember how how far Kong McLaughlin fell in the mid '90s. 
Oh, poor Kyle McLaughlin. Well, when you have Twin Peaks, I mean, yeah, everything is downhill after that. Yeah, that's true. That's, I mean, there are peaks. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there's two of them. He should have come back. That's true as well. I don't know. I, I really, like, I sincerely want, we talked about this last week when we were answering questions, you're right. I sincerely want these characters to be better. Troy is is getting there. It's almost too little too late, but she is getting mm-hmm. there. And Crusher, they're trying, and it just didn't work. What do you think would play better to her strengths as an actor? Because she doesn't have a lot, but there's something there. Like, what does she do well, apart from kick? I think you're onto something there with the um, the moral conscience. The uh, the the episode with uh, with Worf's spine being all fucked up, and she's fighting with that uh, mm-hmm. that more dangerous right. doctor person. There was some cool stuff happening there. And then in Iborg also. We're like, let's be clear. You're turning this person into a weapon. Like yeah. that was that was a good position to be in as well. Like it does soften her and make her the mother still, but it's yeah. Still... But I mean, that's uh, that's at least a part of that character that we can deal that we can work with. You know. On the other hand, Bones basically did that too. Whenever mm-hmm. they would entertain some kind of horrible notion, he'd be like, "Wait a minute, I'm the doctor. I'm the humanity here." Let's yeah, but he. They, at the very least, they get got upset in different ways. Well, that's a good point. She was like, I "We think, can't do this," and he's like, "You're an idiot. Don't do it that way." <laughs> and, and I think, yeah, and I think the way she conveys being the conscience or or or, or channeling the conscience is one of the character's strengths. Mm-hmm. She's not a wilting flower. Right. Um, she doesn't kind of shrug and say, "Oh well." She does raise her voice. She does get a little steely, um, mm-hmm. and and that's not a complaint. Um, it it actually works in her favor because it establishes her and gives us a reason why Picard might like her. She has yeah. resolve. But it she also, stands her ground. It also makes her a mom again. Like she is basically defined as what one shade of mother or the other. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing about her that doesn't say mom. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. To the point where she's directing terrible plays and and you know drinking oh, dressing up her kids in dresses and yeah right yeah. exactly drinking tea with her friends after work because and probably reading Fifty Shades of Grey because box wine yeah because her kid is like flown the coop yeah and killed a guy let's not forget Wesley killed a guy yeah remember when Wesley killed that guy <laughs> we're never gonna forget that <laughs> nope all right any any additional things you guys wanted to discuss about that? uh I never did my bad thing hang on a second oh I thought you had. Did I? I don't know. Oh, yeah, no, I was also, while we're on this topic... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets fucking fired in this episode. That's true. And she gets fucking fired in this episode because she does a bad thing. She flat out performs an autopsy on a Ferengi, and apparently Ferengi have a death ritual they have to do before after someone dies. I like your speculation as to what their death ritual is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Apparently, uh, you can't touch a Ferengi's body until after the the family's seen it. And I assume that's so that the family can rifle through the the deceased's pockets. (laughs) Before the ceremonial reading of the will. And then... uh, then it's fine. Do what you like. But this is a big deal. Yeah. And it's treated like a big deal. You know, like Picard flat out says, she says to Picard, I can't, I know something's wrong. I have to perform an autopsy to prove that there's a murder on the ship. And Picard goes, you can't do that. It's against the Ferengi religion or whatever. Right. You can start an international incident. Right. Like, we're not friends with these guys. Yeah. Um. So fucking don't do an autopsy. Well, and then when, when she comes in and says, I did it. And his first reaction, I love this. His first yeah. reaction isn't, why did you do that? I told you. It's like, did you find anything? Yeah. That is such a Picard thing. But we open this episode, the cl- the uh, the cliffhanger before we go into the actual episode, the end of the cold open is I got fired. I'm not right. the do- I'm not the ship's doctor anymore. Right. Right. And then we get to the end of the episode and, and 
she just it's fine well you know? also like, also we didn't point this out because i did the gimmick uh, uh summary she stole a shuttle to prove that the uh the, the uh the method the dude used wasn't flawed mm-hmm. so not only did she perform an autopsy illegally but she also stole a shuttle risked her own life to, to prove this science thing. So, yeah. I mean, she's done a number of things. It's like, okay, you prove this, the science and you solve the murder. That doesn't make this corpse any less cut open. I've said this from day one. The the mantra of Starfleet is uh, the ends justify the means. You can do anything wrong you want as long as everything turns out okay in the end. Yeah, but <laughs> in this case, it's a huge plot point that she's, like, the, there are consequences to what she did. Nah. And we just don't deal with them. Nah. But that's the episode. There's a lot of things where it's just bad. And and think about what we just described. She breaks the rules to the point where she gets fired for something. She steals a shuttle to prove her theory. And yet we're still saying this is a boring character. Yep. (laughs) That's a very good point. She's a loose cannon who gets results, and I don't give a shit. (laughs) Turn in your tricorder crusher. (laughs) Okay. She's a barely loose. Like, the cannon has been slightly, you know. You're a job (laughs) crusher. (laughs) Yeah. You just need to oil that cannon, and it's perfectly uh, <laughs> fine. Yeah, yeah. This is as good a time as any to play my quote, which was, um, I, there was that great Picard, you know, well, did it get you any results? But then also, as she walks away from that scene, she says exactly what everyone on the show fears that we've been saying from day one. I could tell that he was terribly disappointed in me, and that was almost the hardest part of all. Any, any additional things, guys? Any? Uh, I like the look of, uh, what's his face? Joe oh, Brand. yeah, Joe, Joe, Joe Brand. Brand. Joe, uh, Joe alien Brand. we've never seen before. Yeah, that's true. Right. And we have se- we see more of him than probably any other alien, considering he spends a lot a good chunk of this episode butt naked. That's true. And the makeup on him is just really good. He's a He's got kind of a cool look to him. Yep. Green dude. Also, he has a whole back. blasted in him, and it looks pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Cover art this week. What were we going to say, Gregory? I'm just saying, and they picked a good actor too. Yeah, yeah they, they did. did. He played it really well. Although he he did have a vi- bit of a Vincent Price thing going on. I'm fine yeah. with that. Some of the best characters on Star Trek talked like Vincent Price, Al. Apparently so. And 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 another example of how this episode could have been tweaked a little better is that he should have been the scientist who dies, and then you've got a Vulcan, a Ferengi, and a Klingon as your suspects. That brings us deeper into the Star Trek um, racism. Zoop. Yeah. yeah well, well, racism, yeah, because they they all have something about them that the humans uh, push away. Oh, and you uh, can make that a plot point. You can make mm-hmm. don't make assumptions based on what you think our race is. We're we're all individuals. Yeah, yeah, we're scientists like you are. Right, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doctor Solar got a name check. I was excited, and then she didn't show up. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, she won't show up again. I know, that's too bad. That's all I had. What about you guys? Nah. I think these are really two episodes with great premises, um, but they just don't have that polish to make them good episodes. Unfortunately, no. Yeah. Um, well, again, but, all the money was over at uh, DS9 at this point. That's what they say. That's, yep. They say the good scripts. On the other hand, next week, I know we have at least one very good episode that really goes into Riker's character. Yeah. And another one that I remember being good, but might just be a gimmick. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But uh, that'll that'll be next week with our health long. I'm looking forward to hearing the breakdown on those. Yeah, those are those are fun, as I recall. Um, so, Gregory, anything you want to plug? I know you're you're making a public appearance soon. 
I am um, in two weekends, uh, June 7th through 9th. I'm going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina at Heroes Con. I'm going to have my table uh, under the Robot Wonder Boy banner. Uh, I'll actually be at table AA1821 along with Pat Loika. Um, please come by. Uh, commissions are available um, uh, anytime through robotwonderboy.com or heygregory.com. And uh, it's going to be a huge show. It definitely is going to be a huge show this year. It's like twice as big as previous shows. It's Excellent. going to be gigantic. No, I've, I've heard nothing but good things about Heroes Con. Yeah, I'd like to make the crawl out to that someday. That would be, well, it is fantastic. We're looking for this show. We're looking for, if we get a couple of panels under our belt here, we're looking at expanding to other places, traveling other places. And that's on our short list of places that uh, mm-hmm. that we'd like to try to get a panel at. It's um, a very welcoming show for all types of genres within pop culture. That is fantastic. Gregory just did a, a, a commission for us uh, on the Sarcastic Voyage side of the house that is fantastic. And you guys will be seeing that in a week or two. And really great work, not only for the show, but also I think it, it speaks to your talent. Like people mm-hmm. look at that and they should say, wow, I want that guy to draw me stuff. because it is." Well, thank you very much. It was a very fun project to do. Excellent. Uh, okay. Uh, the website is postatomichorror.com. I told you the email address again, but it's postatomichorror at gmail.com. <laughs> the app is available in uh, the App Store, and it's free. Yeah, you uh, can have it. Absolutely no reason not to get that if you have an iOS device. Yeah. All right. Matt, say your thing so we can not think about Frame of Mind anymore. See you, folks. See you, indeed, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2013. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.